Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Scott McCartney is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. Sidley Austin, the destination law firm for leading airlines and aviation companies. Visit sidley.com aviation. And Seabury Securities, global reach, global scale. SeaburySecurities.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. Welcome to Airlines Confidential. I'm Scott McCartney, and it's not only our first show of 2023, but also my first show as co-host with Ben. I'm honored to be part of this important and entertaining and informative show, and I'm excited to be working with Ben and hearing from you all. Part of the joy of being a journalist for 40 years was the conversation with readers, and I look forward to re-engaging with listeners. Happy New Year, Ben, and Happy New Year to you all. Well, Happy New Year, Scott, and to all of our listeners. I'm looking forward to a good year, although it's certainly off to a rocky start for at least one major airline. The good news, Scott, is that there's no shortage of things to talk about for our first show together. And we have a very special guest, as well as a lot of news to cover. I can't think of a more perfect guest for me to start my podcast hosting, Ben. Gordon Bethune, the legendary former CEO of Continental Airlines, was a key part of my Wall Street Journal career. Gordon came to Continental from Boeing about the same time as I started covering airlines, and he got me on the front page a lot. Chronicling the turnaround at Continental, engineered by Gordon and a lot of people, including you, Ben, was one of the great joys of my career. And I learned so much from Gordon about leadership, about airlines, and most of all about people. It was always a joy to talk with him. Well, I agree with you, Scott. You know, I've been really honored and blessed in my career to have worked with some real luminaries in this business. People like Bob Crandall, Steve Wolf, Bill Frankie, Federico Block, Richard Anderson, Rakesh Gangwal. And yet in Gordon, I see him as the single greatest leader I have ever worked for because in my first sort of C-level role at an airline at Continental, that's when I started having my most exposure to the CEO. And I would see the way he would prioritize things, the way he could keep the big picture while being able to dive into details, and also just the wonderful way he could communicate to every audience, whether it was on the ramp, with a union leader, with investors, with board members. It was just great. And later in my career, Scott, when I became a CEO, Many times when I was struggling with something, I would often stop and say, how might Gordon handle this? And that always helped me. Yeah, that, that's really something, Ben. Uh, that is a Hall of Fame roster of people you've worked with. And to, to single out Gordon, it's amazing the impact he's had on the industry and, and on all of us. So really looking forward to the conversation. But before we get to Gordon, 
Uh, let's discuss the airline's confidential news of the week. And it's really the story of the year. Um, it's Southwest Airlines' Christmas crisis. The airline has canceled more than 15,000 flights over eight days, according to Flight Aware. To put that number in perspective, that's just about the same number as all Southwest cancellations in 2018. And it's half as many cancellations as the airline had in 2019 when it had a protracted contract dispute with mechanics. Over the eight days from December 22nd to December 29, Southwest grounded half of its schedule. On December 27th, well after the frigid winter storm, Southwest canceled three quarters of its schedule. All those canceled flights mean, of course, hundreds of thousands of people severely inconvenienced, stuck at airports or hotel rooms, left without baggage, miserable at a joyous holiday season. Southwest apologized and apologized and promised to reimburse tickets bought on other carriers, as if you could get a seat at Christmas, and pay for hotels and car rentals, meals, and incidentals. Southwest finally got back on track by Friday with 43 cancellations that day, according to Flight Aware. And so fingers crossed for continued normalcy, but the cost of this meltdown is going to be huge for Southwest, both in dollars and reputation, and there's probably a cost to the industry as a whole. I think we'll talk more about this later, but as we go into a presidential election season starting in 2023, there are going to be a lot of politicians, including the Secretary of Transportation, positioning themselves by beating up on airlines. So Ben, what's your take on what happened at Southwest? Well, Scott, I don't really know exactly what happened, but there's a couple things that seem kind of obvious to me. One is just the way they schedule their airplanes. Their airplanes make more what we used to call milk run kind of routes. One city to another, to another, to another, rather than back and forth to a hub that many of the hub-and-spoke airlines use, that probably contributed to when things started going bad, having airplanes and people in the wrong places. Southwest blamed sort of an IT issue, saying that their IT couldn't catch up. That may be true, and I'm not saying they lied, of course, but it's disappointing for me to hear that because throughout Southwest's career, they blamed IT for a lot of things. They couldn't charge for bags because of IT. They couldn't fly internationally because of IT, right? Then they bought AirTran and could fly internationally. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd rather hear them say, we don't want to charge for bags because we like our business model and we think it drives customers to us. Not we can't do it because we don't have the IT when every other airline in the world could charge for bags if they want. So Southwest sort of blaming this on IT may be factually correct in that IT systems made them lose staff or lose people or not know where everyone was or things like that that just got caught and caught and caught. On the other hand, 
They're a big company. They're a successful company. There's no reason that an IT system should cause this kind of outage. My thinking, Scott, is it's got to be something bigger than that. It has to do with leadership, leadership at the airports and the headquarters, prioritization. And I'm just not smart enough to know why this really happened. But I think there's a lot in this meltdown. Yeah, I think that's spot on, Ben. You know, it's it's a little bit like a crash investigation. You look at accidents and there's a chain of events that happens. And in, in, in an accident, if you could have disrupted that chain of events anywhere along the way, there might have been a different outcome. I think there were many factors in this, and it is easy to blame IT. I do think there were uh, issues with employees. You know, this is the holidays. Southwest hired 20%, almost 25% of the, of the company has been hired in the last year. And so you had a lot of brand new people. Um, and this was their first big, you know, winter storm. There was a, a state of emergency declared by the airline in Denver because so many people didn't show up to work when there were absolute frigid temperatures. I think the senior people are not working on the holidays. You had a lot of brand new people. And that probably was a factor. I think the airline is very reluctant to criticize its employees, and we can understand that. Um, but I do think there were uh, a lot of failures here, um, not just IT. And, and I also think there's a broader issue here. And I'm curious what you think about this, Ben. I, I'm really wondering about the size and complexity of airlines and whether there's a limit to how big they can get. Um, can they get too big to manage efficiently, so big that they're highly vulnerable to a massive operational problem in a storm situation? With climate change, storms are getting more severe. With consolidation and growth, airlines are getting bigger and bigger. And I think Southwest may be the canary in the coal mine here, the, the first to see this reality because of its hyper-complicated network. Um, could this be the future for others? And, and, and before we discuss that, I, I want to throw out one idea, see what you, you thought. Um, if I were Southwest, I would look hard at regionalizing the operation into separable parts, split the operation into east and west or something like that. That might make it easier to isolate trouble so that a storm on the East Coast doesn't end up canceling Houston, L.A. flights or Seattle, Vegas flights. Two operations of 2,000 flights might be easier to reschedule than one operation of 4,000 flights. There would be a lot to work out, but Southwest has almost 800 airplanes now. It wants to get close to 1,000 within five years. With a linear operation, each new airplane you add adds increasingly more complexity. I'm not sure the current jigsaw puzzle system is solvable in real time when there are big disruptions. New software um, may not be the answer here. There are just too many variables, too many moving parts, and you have to make the problem smaller to manage it quickly. Lots of great points here, Scott. I agree with you. I'm not sure if it's east-west or it's by major hub they operate. They don't talk about hubs, but they certainly look like hubs in places like Midway and 
Houston Hobby and Baltimore and places like that. I agree with you that they need to think about something different. Going back to Gordon Bethune for a minute, one of the things that Gordon did when I was at Continental is that Newark was the reason Continental couldn't do anything right when I first got there. It was the reason we couldn't be on time, the reason we couldn't be friendly, right? The reason we couldn't do all kinds of things. And Gordon sort of turned that on his ear and said, what's wrong with having a hub in the biggest air city in the world? And started getting the company think about our success is with Newark. And from a scheduling standpoint, one thing the company did was isolate Newark exactly as you're talking about. Have every plane that left Newark go back to Newark so that when weather in New York got bad, it didn't affect Houston or Cleveland or other parts of the operation. So I think you're on to something here, Scott. They've got smart people at Southwest, love to have someone from there come on and talk about this if they're willing. And I agree with you that it's more than just a new software system. I think they re- need to rethink what their jigsaw puzzle looks like. Yeah, I, you know, you could have the the best software in the world and still have too many moving pieces on the on the ground, airplanes, crew schedules, uh people stuck here and there. It it, it just it becomes um too overwhelming. It's also interesting I, 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 I'd be curious uh what listeners think. I I had people uh tell me, "Oh, uh, we should really be blaming Gary Kelly because he was CEO for a long time and they didn't invest in systems. And, you know, that all may be true. But uh, really, if you if you look back at it, the resistance to software and complex systems really started with Herb and and Herb love that they scheduled the airline, you know, people with a pencil drawing out lines. It goes from here to here to here. Uh, and simplicity was uh, the goal at, at Southwest, um, and that was how they kept costs low. And, and I think they've just gotten too big to um, keep up that legacy. You know, Scott, one other thing I'll say about this is I think you're absolutely right about the Secretary of Transportation and the government sort of taking ownership of this in a sense and saying, we're going to fix this and we're going to hold people accountable. That concerns me somewhat, however, because this wasn't an industry event. This was a Southwest problem this time. It's not always going to be that. I understand the political expediency of saying we're going to help people and we're going to fix this problem, but I don't know what the DOT can do about fixing the kind of problems we're talking about. Now, can they ensure that Southwest is giving people refunds and accommodating the best they can? My guess is Southwest is already doing that. So I'm not exactly sure what the role of the DOT and the federal government is in fixing this kind of problem. 
Yeah, I agree, Ben. And uh, sometimes I wish they'd they'd take a look at uh, AT and T customer service and, and try and fix that too. That's really funny. Right. Well. Airlines Confidential appreciates the support of our great sponsors. Pratt & Whitney is a world leader in aircraft engines, helicopter engines, and auxiliary power units. Pratt & Whitney is powering more sustainable aviation through smarter technology, cleaner fuels, and greener business. Learn more at prattwhitney.com sustainability. And Sidley Austin is the go-to law firm for leading airlines and aviation companies transforming the skies. Sidley combines unmatched experience with top-tier capabilities across a vast global footprint. Visit sidley.com aviation for more information. Time for me to thank Seabury Securities, a Seabury Capital Group company. Their widely respected team has been advising aviation clients around the world for more than 25 years. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburysecurities.com. As I said before, we are thrilled to have Gordon Bethune with us today. Gordon not only revived Continental, making United what it is today, but also changed leadership in corporate America. He matched common sense with amazing communication skills and keen business instincts to change corporate America for the better. He showed that the CEO needed to be more than a dollar and cents guy. Gordon, it is great to have you with us today. Glad to join. Well, Gordon, I don't think you need any introduction to our listeners, but why don't you tell our listeners what you're up to these days? Well, I'm well retired now. I just retired off my last board, but uh, I still keep a little active. I've got a good gun collection I still mind and attend some shows and I've got a bunch of old cars and they need they, they own you you don't own them so there's always something to do there but uh, mostly I do what I want which I enjoy that's great um, I'm curious Gordon which airline or airlines do you think managed the pandemic the most successfully you, you know that's a really tough question Scott because the end game is all came out about the same place although some may be a little stronger than others. I think UAL did as good as anyone, but I, I don't have enough metrics available to me that, to give you a straight answer on that. I don't see any real ringers in there that, that failed the course. They pretty much did what they had to do, which is not fun. But uh, they came out alive, which is a good thing the government helped them do. And I think they're fully recovered or mostly fully recovered. Yeah, it's in interesting. We we saw different strategies. You know, Delta was blocking the middle seat, and then they weren't. And American was um, reworking their network, and and I'm I'm not sure it made any it any big difference to anybody. Yeah, it's absolutely true, Scott. Uh, I mean, they were fiddling with the numbers, but the facts are that you know the passengers weren't there, and the capacity was, and they had to manage those debt disparity, and it's a tough tough thing to do. Yeah. Well, Gordon, a big issue still not resolved in the industry right now is what is the full return of the business traveler? Do you have a view on this? Well, I've been reading recently and looking at the numbers, but uh, the reintegration, I guess, of offices so that you're not working straight from home, so you're now part-time at home, part-time at the office, that they've started to do the same thing with their travel 
by joining their recreational travel to some of the business necessary travel. So there's a hybrid mix, I guess, going on of passengers that are not straight business travel, nor are these 100% leisure. And that that seems to be the way the place is headed. That's the, that's the way society's headed. And I think that's the mix on the airplane. You know, as a follow-up to that, Gordon, one thing I'm worried about is there's so much pressure from investors and others on ESG things. And I'm worried that some companies just look at the easy mark and say, hey, if we travel less, we can check a nice box here. Do you think that's a valid concern? Ben, if you don't show up, you won't get the deal. So if you're selling a big program in Japan, you better get your ass over to Tokyo personally because you're not going to get it on the phone. And that's what business travel is all about, is going to see the customers face-to-face and establishing relationships which are inherently required for success in any company because your competitors sure will do it. So I hear those guys talking, but I know that – if your share price starts declining because you're not getting the business, you better change your behavior. And I think anybody that fails to get off their butt and make a personal call is going to lose market share. So I wanted to ask a, a labor question because I think it's a really interesting time in the life cycle of, of labor contracts. Uh, pilots and, and all labor seem to have the strongest leverage uh, they've had in a long time uh, to negotiate significant wage increases. How, how can airlines best offset this seemingly unstoppable cost increase? Well, the best way to offset it is to have a really strong balance sheet and be able to afford to say no. And of course, if you're living on the edge, there are some of the unions in the past have shown a kind of a kamikaze reaction and not caring for the outcomes, do stupid things that take the airline down operationally and certainly financially. I, I, I don't know because... You, Scott, when they do stupid things, it's hard to project because nobody's going to do that. You say, well, he just did. So things happen way beyond our ability to predict. And I think labor, you know, it's always an issue. But uh, if you outprice yourself in the marketplace, you're going to disappear. And labor is the, is, the, is the loser. So hopefully there's a balance before there's a destructive behavior. I would say take a strike and take the airline out of commission. It's interesting because you were really able to align, uh, I think, the employees of Continental in, in Continental's success, um, and may, maybe that was helped by uh, the the many years of misery that that employees <laughs> had. <laughs> but um, do do you see that kind of alignment happening in the industry? I, I I'm not sure. I don't see because they don't have any macro moves to to make. Back when I was at Continental, you know, they were pretty bad shape, but mostly they treated their employees so poorly, there was no trust. And so my goal was to have the employees believe me when I said something, which meant that you had to earn that trust, and that's not an overnight endeavor. It took days and days. But communication is the key. And I say you never lie to your own lawyer, you never lie to your doctor, and you never lie to your employees, because if you do, you're going to die. And you know, or your best you're going to do is 80% of what you could do. So once the employees trust you better than maybe the union on an issue, 
you've got some credibility that really works for you and you can tell them the facts and they'll understand it and not try to double cross them. If you, if you, if you do lie to your employees, you really created a a hurdle for success. It's just horrible. Hmm. Love that thought. You know, Gordon, before Continental, you had a great career at Boeing, and that's a company that's had a rough go over the last few years. They've lost ground to Airbus in the commercial space. Do you agree with that? And would you bet on the 737 MAX until 2035? Do you think Boeing can or should pull the trigger now on a new middle-of-the-market airplane? You know, that's, that's a good point, and I can't tell you the answer, Ben. I know that when I, I was at the pre-merger, pre-McDonnell Douglas merger, Boeing, and that's a very different company than the Boeing today, not even close. So uh, it's hard to project. I still love, I think they're a, one of the greatest companies in the world and will remain so. The, the MAX is going to, you always think it's running out of room and, and it kind of gets revitalized. It did even when I was there, when I was in charge of the 73. 800 program, and uh, it, it it's a good, dependable, reliable airplane. So their idea of taking it to 2035, I think, may be adjusted whatever the market starts talking to them. That's why they did the initial next generation that's called the 800, 700, 800 now, because they were lost a couple of big orders, so they were forced to do something quickly. And uh, I would never bet against Boeing. That's just... I know I'm parochial, but they're just too good of a company with too good a product, and and they've done a hell of a job in the industry. And I think, you know, anybody that can take you to the moon should be able to get you to, you know, New Orleans anytime. Gordon, your your book, From Worst to First, remains popular today, both in and out of the airline business. What lessons from that book uh, still have the largest relevance today? You know, Scott, I, I tell them it's a good non-narcotic sleep aid. So, you know, <laughs> read a couple of pages and you rip right off. Uh, you know, I was just, it's, it's like I'm talking to you. I just, in the book, talking about what we did. And I guess if you, if you really distill it, it gets back to that communications issue we were talking about earlier. That you need to engage with your employees and, um, you know, don't write them notes. Or don't give them phone calls. Get off your butt and go down to where they are, like in the break room at the airport, and tell them thank you. And, you know, it's like the parts of the watch, and there's a lot of parts that you don't see that you need, and you need to take the time to make sure they're running well and everything's fine. And if they, you show that personal interest over a long period of time, you'll have, you'll have people that will give you 110%, not 80%. And with a low margin business like the airline is, it's almost as bad as grocery stores. That margin, if you can keep your employees wanting to do a good job. When I was a mechanic in the Navy, you know, you could outrank me, but you didn't know how to fix the airplane. But I said, you know how much faster I can fix an airplane when I want to than when I don't want to? And so that's where it is in the airline. They're the same as anybody else. This airline is going to work really, really well if I really bust my tail. Or if I just sit there and run at 80% and let them falter because you've not you've, you lost their trust or confidence. And that's the book, and that's kind of really the fundamentals of good leadership, restoring trust and confidence in your employee workforce. Mm. 
You know, Gordon, what you say makes so much sense, and it's clearly one of your greatest strengths. And as Continental CEO, you could communicate with everyone, ground employees, pilots, management members, board members, investors. And you just talked about why that was so important. Do you see other leaders in the airline industry with this very rare quality? I, I, I think everyone has some strengths and weaknesses in that area. So I don't, would hate to indict anybody by saying they don't have it because it's how you focus on things. I think as you see things play out, understanding how a watch works is really good for a guy who owns a watch business. So you need to understand how the airline works in order to relate to those employees we're talking to. And if you don't, you don't relate and they, there is, there's a distance and you've got to close that gap. And the only way to do that is to get there and understand how the airline works every day. But it seems hard to me, difficult to me that anybody could try to run a company that didn't understand what the goals and the product and results need to be. And uh, I think some do it better than others, but I don't, I don't really see a shining example out there today. Uh, switch gears a little bit. Uh, Gordon, JetBlue surprised people with their bid for Spirit after it looked like Spirit and Frontier were destined to partner. Do you see this as a sign of more consolidation over the next few years? Well, I think that one's a necessary one because JetBlue uniquely, I think, you know, keeps the revenue at a competitive rate on the Transcon. If JetBlue wasn't doing New York to San Francisco, you can bet the United American Delta would raise their prices pretty well on that route. At the same time, they offer a really fine coach product, but they can't, they, they're too small to compete against the big four. And they need those 150 airplanes that Spirit has to, 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 to be a force in the industry. I don't think it's so unique to start a new airline. Anybody can start an airline and anybody can run, show you a cheaper price and a cheaper ticket. But I see a spirit jet blue combination as a good thing for the country, good thing for the industry, and it will keep five guys out there that have really good products and keeping the competition very strong. Gordon, the regional airline industry is also facing a lot of headwinds, huge labor cost increases, weaknesses in short haul traffic pressure from buses for very short flights, and even more. It seems to us that this sector is bound to shrink over time. Do you agree? Yeah, Ben, it's an evolution, an evolving one. that They migrated from props to now jets and regional jets, so there's all hybrid types of it. What you're going to see, though, I think continue as, as, it in, as technology evolves, you'll see the smaller electric airplanes. So there's a niche in every part of the regional market. So I, there's always going to be a need to have the correct number of seats to make the airplane trip worthwhile. But, you know, if you don't have regional collection of, in the market basket, if you will, you're not, you're, not gonna, you're not going to be able to get the revenue you need with a large fleet without a regional jet. But I'm just saying the regional jet's going to get smaller. So if you can collect that additional revenue, it's going to be an add-on to your income statement for sure. So do you think they get smaller with the turboprops? We're going to see turboprops come back? 
I don't know, Scott, if it's turbo props. I'm, I'm just looking at the technology and what all the big boys are ordering, these new electric airplanes, which mm-hmm. is really small. And so you've got that spread to that to the 100-seater, 75-seater. There's just a lot of market in that in those numbers between 10 and 75. And to be able to tap into that with a superior product will give you an advantage against a competitor that doesn't have that airplane, can't get to you. So your love for the airline industry is unbounded. Uh, I've always been curious, why? What what drives that passion? What do you love most about it? I think it must be a masochist. That's probably, <laughs> you know, some people just love punishment. I tell you, since my dad was a crop duster and I was the flunky at the airport and having to reduce and being a mechanic and then a pilot, I like everything about it. I like the people that do it. But I personally love to fly, as you do. And uh, it's something that gets in your blood that I, I think uh, the, being a mechanic, being a pilot, being a builder of airplanes and helping design them and also running an airline and is give you know, a really multifaceted background in that business, all of which I enjoy. I, I don't know what makes people like chocolate better than vanilla. You can't argue with either one. They're different, but they're really just as well. And I guess for me, I was lucky enough to have aviation. Well, Gordon, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming in, being our first guest of 2023. Is there anything else from your long and successful career you'd like to tell all of our listeners to the show? I think it's all well been said, Ben. You and Scott and others have done a great job communicating. All of you have good backgrounds and knowing what you're talking about. So I think your idea of having these kinds of get-togethers putting more information out is, is really good and I was happy to help. I wish both of you the happy best new year coming and success in your new program. Thanks so much, Gordon. It's just great to catch up with you. Always love talking to you about, about airlines and aviation and uh, wish you meaningful, wonderful 2023 and look forward to getting together again. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Ben. Hey, before you go, Gordon, I have to ask, do you have any great new watches? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to break myself of that. Uh, I sold most of my watches years ago. I'm about 20-something left. And uh, I'm trying to, you know, I, I try to resist the urge, Ben. I've been able to, it's like an alcoholic. I really like to have that drink, but I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> well, that's, that's smart that you're going that way, I think. Thanks again, Gordon, for right, a guys. great talk. Have a wonderful 2023, and we'll be back with more Airlines Confidential. Promotional consideration by thearchive.net, the hub of the history of commercial aviation. Thearchive.net is now boarding. This portion of Airlines Confidential is sponsored in part by Sidley Austin. From the ramp to the boardroom, the destination law firm for leading airlines and aviation companies transforming the skies. Scott, why don't we start the new year with some predictions about 2023? I have a few. My first is that 2023 will be the first year of full annual profitability for the industry since the pandemic hit. I think demand is back. While the pandemic may or may not be over medically, I'm not 
smart enough to make that decision. But from a demand standpoint, I don't see any evidence that people are saying broadly, I'm not going to travel because of the pandemic. So I think the pandemic is over for air travel in terms of demand. And I think that the airlines are going to use that along with moderating fuel prices to have a fully profitable year, and that will be great for the industry. They've got lots of other pressures, but I think 2023 is when we can clearly look back and say the pandemic's over. That's very interesting, Ben. I I like the long-term view for the year. It's been troubling to me to see uh, airline stocks beat up on Wall Street with the very short-term view as, as usual. I already hinted at one of my predictions, I think it's going to be a busy year for airlines in Washington. I think there's a lot of built-up anger at corporations, thanks Elon Musk, and thanks Southwest. I think the DOT will finally issue a family seating rule and probably some other goodies with that. I think there will be hearings and studies and maybe even a presidential commission on airline reliability or something like that. Uh, But airlines will be in the political crosshairs uh, along with big tech. You're probably right about that, Scott. Another prediction I'll make is that one of the bigger airlines is going to make a major change to their loyalty program to make their program really relevant to a less frequent traveler. The unfortunate reality of loyalty programs in the airline business is that they've really been most driven by the road warrior or the people traveling all the time. But that group is getting smaller the number of times even the most regular travelers are flying is reduced somewhat. And I think to make these programs broaden a bit by becoming relevant for someone who maybe only flies two or three times a year and maybe is more of a leisure customer. Now, of course, they can't give them as much as they might give someone who's flying twice a month. But to just make the programs relevant so that a bigger and bigger percentage of the people flying are engaged somehow in the programs, I think we're going to see a major move in that direction in 2023, Scott. That's really curious, Ben. I, I, I like that idea. I think, it, it, you know, if we see one airline do it, uh, everybody else will fall in line. It, that'll be very interesting for, for travelers. A few other predictions from me. I, I think there will be more consolidation of airlines in Europe and maybe some failures in Asia if traffic is still depressed there. And I, I still think the American JetBlue Northeast Alliance will get approved with some small divestitures to placate competition concerns. I also still think the JetBlue Spirit merger gets approved. I know Senator Elizabeth Warren already said that the Southwest mess shows big airlines are bad, so the merger shouldn't be approved. Uh, But JetBlue Spirit doesn't come close to Southwest size. JetBlue Spirit may be an operational nightmare as they try to integrate, but if the concern is big airline market dominance, creating a fifth viable competitor is good for competition, not bad. I I know you're restricted on this topic, Ben, so I get the final word. 
but any other New Year's predictions or resolutions? I'll make one more, Scott. I think there is going to be more consolidation in 2023 in the regional space. Mm. The regionals have really been hit. We've seen massive increases in their pilot costs where they need to pay their pilots as much to fly a 50-seat jet as those pilots can make flying a 150 or 180-seat jet at a bigger airline. And you've seen American essentially fire Mesa or Mesa fire American. (laughs) I'm not sure which is the right way to think about that. But it seems to me in the large independents, the Republics, the Mesa, the Sky West, consolidation may help in terms of negotiating deals with the bigger carriers, dealing with some of the pilot issues and mitigating some costs of increased pilots. So it wouldn't surprise me to see consolidation in the regional space. Yeah, there you go again. I think you're spot on. Uh, and and that's very interesting because we, we uh, have a question from our listener uh, about the regionals. Some really great questions. I, I love this. So we're gonna we're gonna start with one from Yoni from Seattle. Uh, Yoni says, "I'm curious what your thoughts are on the musical chairs going on with the regionals. It seems like this is just another thing Delta got right before American and United figured it out. Back in 2019, Delta consolidated down to three strong regional carriers." Sky West, Yoni says, arguably the strongest. Republic, Yoni says, uh, only second to Sky West. And Endeavor, Delta's wholly owned. They also promised to shrink the regional footprint significantly, which they have done. Look at Atlanta, which is approximately 85% mainline now, while United's ORD operation is 65% mainline. Why couldn't AA and UA have done the same? What do you think, Ben? Well, I think there are some interesting ideas here from Muni. Thank you. I think there's geography issue here too, however. There are just more regional-sized cities. What I mean by that is cities sort of one to three hour in flights that aren't really big enough for a full-size jet. If you just draw circles around a Chicago or a Detroit or Minneapolis than when you draw that circle around Atlanta. There aren't as many. So I think it's easier in Atlanta. Now let's look at what Delta does in Detroit and Mini. I bet they're not 85% mainline there. That said, Delta just does a lot of things right. And Delta the way they think about many pieces of their business is somewhat different than the way American and United generally do. And they're often a really good model to follow. So I think the idea of consolidating down and thinking about what the right role of regional and mainline is, there's some good ideas here from Mione. And then the next question, Scott, comes from Gus from Pembroke. Great podcast, guys. I always listen to your podcast while riding my bicycle around the community. I'm part of the industry, and your show keeps me up to date with this beautiful industry and career. In this particular episode, 
you guys talk about Delta setting the standards in regard to labor pay, pilots, rampers, flight attendants, etc., and how airlines could get creative without breaking the bank. You also mentioned that this cost can increase up to 40% of the airline's cost. I mentioned that, by the way. Here are my two cents. How about reducing executive compensation? We hear about this, these people and how they negotiate a very generous financial package, regardless of performance, even if they sink the airline. I wonder why this is. Hopefully, you guys take time to read this email and have a discussion on this particular topic. Again, great show. Scott, do you think executive compensation is a problem in the airline industry? Well, Ben, I I think it's actually a problem in corporate America, uh, and I think the airline industry is just one part of that. If you look at the numbers, executive compensation as a percentage of the average worker at the company it's gone up and up and up and up. And, you know, Gus is right. And in, in many cases, there's not accountability for that. Um, the reality is it, people get upset about really big numbers in executive compensation, but it's not going to make much difference to the bottom line of the, of the company if you cut that. You know, you're talking about millions of dollars for a few executives in companies that uh, that are dealing with uh, billions of dollars in in revenue um, and uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in in profit, and I think the problem is uh, if you said, okay, we're going to cut our executive compensation, um, you're going to lose executives uh, because it's a competitive marketplace, and and they will go elsewhere where uh, companies are paying them more richly. So we need smart people in the airline business. I don't begrudge uh, that, um, but I do think there's a there's a broader societal issue here of uh, really uh, class differences. I think that makes sense, Scott. And also, it reminds me of another Gordon story, which is when he was at Continental. And some employees complained about his compensation at the time. One of the things I heard Gordon say a number of times is, look, if you break your finger or you have a cough, you can go to any doctor in the world. But if you need brain surgery, you're going to want the best doctor there is. And the sickest patients need the best doctors. And Continental was pretty sick at that point, right? <laughs> yes. And I think as an industry, this is an industry that changes so quickly, is so complex. I think this is an industry that generally does need the best doctor, Scott. I totally agree. And it's a real issue because the smartest people coming out of business schools and elsewhere, they'll go to tech and other industries where they can, they can really make big money quicker. Uh, you know, you go to a company with a fast growing stock and, and the stock compensation you get makes you very wealthy. Um, and you don't see that in the airline industry. So in some ways, I think airlines have to pay more to get those best doctors. So, Ben, one more question. This one addressed to you. Um, it's from Scott from Twin Cities, no relation. Um, but Scott asks about airline demand. 
Do you believe legacy airline profit forecasts are overly optimistic due to artificially high travel demand? Uh, you addressed this a little bit earlier, but uh, but I think Scott raises a good point here. FedEx has announced they have stopped hiring and parked planes. Retailers have reported cooling consumer trends and reported lower profits. Are airlines the next casualties in this bullwhip effect of rapid intensification and rapid cooling of demand? Good question, Scott. I don't think that legacy airline profit forecasts are overly optimistic. And the reason I don't is while you're right, there may be a cooling of demand to some extent in 2023 because of recession, because of other economic sort of malaise or things. I think the industry has managed its capacity smarter and the relationship between the number of seats being scheduled and the demand that's available is really what determines that profit. So I think the industry has gotten better at that and is smarter about that. So I think that while there may be some demand weakness in 2023, I still think it's going to be a very good year for the industry. And, you know, I think that's fascinating because I think when we look back on this period, uh, what's really changed is uh, the stability, at least in the U.S., of airline finances. Um, if you, In the past, if you said there's there's a war in Europe and, and viruses running around and pandemic and, and all, um, we'd say, well, the, the thing that people would do is stop traveling, um, but they haven't. And, and so that, that demand has continued. Airlines have gotten smarter about managing it, as you say. And I think, I think travel has become a, a long-term, more important part of people's lives. And that really bodes well, because in the past, the first hint of recession, you saw airlines just tumble. Uh, and we haven't seen that. So it's a, it's, uh, I think we may look back and say this was really a turning point. As we sign off, I want to thank you again for including me in Airlines Confidential. This is really fun. I want to thank Chris Chimes for the fantastic job he did and for making the transition smooth and easy for me. And I want to thank listeners for welcoming me into their listening lives. One of those listeners who wants to be called Old Crokey from Australia offered this note of thanks and farewell to Chris, and I think this is the perfect way to end the show. Old Crokey says, there have been some wonderful duos throughout the years, Abbott and Costello, Batman and Robin, and you two guys, Chris and Ben. Week in, week out, you've brought a variety of interesting guests and industry news, along with your own valuable opinions. So it's with a hint of sadness to know that Chris will be stepping away from the show. Chris, you've kept the show moving along when Ben has had to remain silent, and your career experience has helped you make such a valuable contribution to the show. Thank you, and may your future be even more fruitful, more successful. With change comes renewal and fresh ideas, and this evolution is not always bad. And Ben, couldn't say it better than old croaky. Thank you. I look forward to many more. And uh, with that, I'll say goodbye. Well, thanks, Scott. It's great to have you on board and look forward to a lot of great shows in 2023 and beyond. We'll see you next week on Airlines Confidential. 
This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.